You're listening to Wealth Tech on Deck, a podcast about the future of wealth management technology, brought to you by Life Yield. Here's your host, Jack Sherry. Welcome to Wealth Tech on Deck. Thanks for joining us. Each week, we explore a variety of topics around wealth tech strategies and execution. In addition to learning about how, what our guests are working on today, we ask them to share where they see things headed. So today we have a first. We are talking with our first business partners who are also life partners, Kim and Judd Mackerel. So I will let them tell their story in a moment. But if you are looking for how to communicate and deliver on complex wealth tech strategies and challenges, you want to know Kim and Judd. So welcome to you both. Thanks for joining us today. Thanks, Jack. Glad to be here. Thanks for having us, Jack. So, Kim, let's start by uh, talking about your backstory and Judd's. Uh, please share with our audience what you two have been working on over the past many years leading up to what we're doing right now. Yeah. So Judd and I actually started dating by planning things together and thinking about how to get people all in a room and have a good time. And uh, when we were first getting married, Judd needed a job. He was graduating from college and a friend of ours was like, oh, I'm working at the startup. You should come and join me there. So Judd started at Orion as an employee 20-something and we got married a week later and he would come home every day. He was an analyst there and tell me, I think they're going to fire me tomorrow. I have no idea what I'm doing in these spreadsheets. This is outside of my wheelhouse. And I was just like, I don't know, man, that sounds tough. And I was doing marketing and admin stuff in nonprofits. And we went down to Texas for a little while uh, while Judd was doing grad school. And he kept working for Orion while we were down there. And eventually they convinced him like, hey, you should come back up and you should run our implementation team. And so that's what he did. And he was working really hard and loving what he was doing all around the country, just in the back office of advisory firms. He would come home and tell me about it. And I was doing marketing just for little companies that I knew then. I'd been at a publicly traded company while we were in Dallas and did not want to live that life while we were having a bunch of kids. So I was just doing boutique marketing and he would tell me about firms that were breaking away and they needed a website. And I'd say, okay, we'll send him my name. And so we kind of started working together on implementations, but from very different sides of the house. And when Orion was going through some changes, we thought, I think it's time for us to do some changing too. And we were done having kiddos and decided that we would niche down just on the financial world and just do fintech and wealth managers and eventually had some TAMPs and we were running Mineral Interactive We had about 12 employees, just having a great time doing marketing for them and creating products as well. We had about 87 billion in assets under management around the country and uh, one firm in Canada, which was super great because we got to go to Montreal and have a great time there. But we really loved what we were doing and we built a product. By by the way, if I may interrupt, that's where we all met. Yeah. That's Mineral did Lifefield's marketing and and did it so well. So I I thought I'd just full disclosure here. That's (laughs) That's how we originally met. That's right. Yeah. We flew to Boston and had great conversations with your team and we were really enjoying what we were doing there and also had started building our own product at the same time that won a couple of awards. Um, Just thinking about how financial advisors could demonstrate their value to their clients um, with client onboarding because it was 
a pain for us when we were working with our own advisor and we wanted to simplify that and make it accessible for advisors. We were purchased by Carson Group in 2018 and our entire crew folded into that firm. So that was an aqua hire situation and we were there for a couple of years, Judd uh, almost three, I guess. And then um, we are back out on our own now and trying to solve a problem of integration for the financial world. That's great. So uh, I've been a big fan of the two of these in general. We'll talk about what they're working on now, but meeting them along the way, just we learned a whole lot about how to communicate, including, by the way, I should also highlight this podcast came about as a result of Kim and Judd suggesting it would be a good thing. And it's been way beyond our wildest imagining in terms of the success and effectiveness. So thanks for that. So Judd, why don't you, why don't you talk a little bit about... Uh, some new businesses. You got a bunch of things going on. Very exciting stuff. So, why don't you talk about uh, what you got? Both are working on presently. Yeah, you know, I think presently the problems we're really going after are the problems that I've found just persisted inside of our industry. And when we looked at and Jack, I think you and I we were having breakfast in New York one day, talking about this a while ago, and just the the difficulties that particularly enterprise companies have to integrate technology. And it was, it stuck in my mind because, you know, I, I'd experienced that when I was at Orion overseeing onboarding or even marketing and product design sort of things. It's great to have these solutions, but how's it going to work in a much more complex organization? And as we were kind of looking at what do we want to do with our, our next chapter here, how do we want to make a big impact? We, we hooked up with a, a friend of ours we've known for quite a while uh, who's been working on a product that he spent at least three plus years building to help rapidly integrate technology into a singular vertically integrated experience. So if you have a CRM or you have a portfolio accounting or you have a really innovative technology like Lifefield, it's great that you know you've walked through the supermarket and you put all these things in your cart, but going home and making that recipe is a little bit more difficult. And we know that especially as a bigger organization, the ability to, to do that at scale with a, a lot of engineers, a lot of internal politics, a lot of initiatives, it's, it's seemingly paralyzing uh, to many organizations. So when we look at the technology that really powers MileMarker today, it rapidly enables firms to create their own unified API that represents all the different endpoints that they need in their technology stack. So that company now can have their own middleware that powers their technology in really creative, wonderful ways. And we're seeing fun things happen in the insurance carrier space, in the enterprise wealth management space. Yeah. Before you move on to that, and you can pick this up after my, my question, but Judd, one of the things I observe is you're describing what you're describing because you understand this stuff. Kim understands this stuff. Where we all live, frankly, at, certainly at Lifefield is that Maybe comment on this first before you talk about where you see it going from InsureTech and some other spaces that I know you're working in. But this whole notion of connecting the dots, it's an easy thing to say. It's a wonderful notion. Who doesn't want that? There's all these capabilities. There's CRM. There's planning. There's proposal. There's ongoing portfolio management. There's income optimization. There's all sorts of stuff. And the shift clearly is from a single account orientation to a multi-account solutions-based, multi-product, multi-account 
orientation and maybe describe the role that mile marker plays that you play in terms of connecting those dots because that clearly is where the industry is going is toward a unified managed household is a term now being used describe all that talk about it like it's easy and you know darn yeah. well it's not so maybe describe what you're doing and why, well, why it's so yeah, hard. There are really key trends that are happening right now. Unified managed household is the way that you need to be structured to be able to effectively manage the entire client's financial journey. Uh, whether you're an insur- insurance provider or investment bank or an RIA, you need to be thinking holistically across the client's experience. And And the only way to do that is to either choose technology that's doing that first, but we know that the most powerful technology generally is not structured that way. So we have to help those companies and help the companies that are more sophisticated and are building their own solutions on top of them, be able to then represent that story to the retail client. And there's no better way than to use this API architecture where you're, you're able to choose the best functions and features and data across all the different technology you have. Because many of these people have APIs or, you know, we even power or starting to power APIs for some of these companies where they're finding they're lacking here because we can rapidly create that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Kim, if I could have you join in on this conversation, because it's one thing to connect it, that middleware back office function, connecting the dots, all that good stuff. But you also have to have a, a client experience. So maybe talk about what Judd's talking about in terms of what happens behind the scenes. We'll come back to that, Judd, because I know you're doing a lot more there, but also want to bring in the user experience as well, because that's and that's your that's your jam, right? It kind of is. Yeah, that's where I've been uh buttering everyone's bread for a little while, just trying to help people understand that if you have information, it has to be served to the end user client and even to the advisor in a way that is digestible, in a way that they can understand what the next best action truly is. And right now, all of the silos of data that are sitting inside of enterprise level firms that's not helping anybody understand what's really going on. And you watch firms struggle to even know what should we be doing? What's the, what's the greatest value add to our team? Because they can't understand what the data is telling them. They have these different siloed pieces of information that are contradictory, that don't seem to be delivering any kind of value to them. And there is a path forward. One of the best parts about MileMarker is that we're taking on-prem data and spinning it up into the cloud so that people can actually see what's going on so that it's not just sitting in a server room somewhere and it requires you know 14 phone calls and 45 emails before you get a CSV file that then you actually can't process either. So our goal is really to help yep. Yep. The user interface change because right now we're it's spreadsheets. And as much as we all want to go talk yep. about AI and where the future is, the truth is that most of the information that we have that could power AI is still too broken up, too siloed. And until we get that data into central rep- repositories and then create APIs that are going to go both backwards and forwards. We aren't going to be able to help people understand what they need to be doing once we have that information in a way that we can actually process it, then it's quite simple for us to say, what are you trying to do with this data? What do you need people to understand? 
what are the processes that you are all they're doing manually now we can automate those and create user interfaces around them that help drive the right behaviors so your advisors are doing the right thing your clients are informed in the right way and they want to take the next action that makes the most sense for them and drives value for them and helps them understand your value as the advisor this is where bridges between your expertise, Kim, and your expertise, Judd, and not that you guys don't have a significant overlap on, on both ends, but I'll, one of the things that occurred to me, having created a scoring mechanism around taxes for life field, what we found is that when you can quantify the benefit, then it makes sense. Oh, you mean I can have a third more money over time? Through this quantification process, you can see the number. It's it's huge. We had Ernst Young validate that it's real through our, our methodology. But the thing that occurred to me, we started hearing this a few years ago, we started hearing this next best action thing. Well, you can't determine the next best action unless you quantify the benefit of potential actions. That's right. Otherwise, how would you know what the next best action is? So maybe I'm not sure either or both of you want to comment on that that notion. It's what you just described, Kim, is that the user experience like leads to the next best action. At least our experience suggests that you got to quantify that benefit. So then you can make the the trade or the set up the Roth IRA or do the plan or in other words, there's a series of events that need to happen in sequence so that you can get that next best action over time. So I'll, I'll toss it up to either or both of you to comment on that. I think it's becoming more and more clear every day that the future of our industry is quite different from the, the staff and the technology that we've had historically. You're going to see a lot more people focusing on behavioral. I mean, it's behavioral is I mean, a decade of, of uh, advancement already, but it's still dramatically underserved. And then data science is happening more, you know, it's happened. On, and by the yeah. way, Judd, when you say behavioral, describe that a little more because you and I know what that means, but this might be new for someone who are listening. Yeah. I mean, I think it's understanding the behavioral activities of clients, whether or not they're staying on your plan or, you know, whatever, whatever's happening. What's, what's the psychology behind choice? around their wealth, whether it's long-term or short-term or, you know, day-to-day spending, how are we understanding and assuming and building based on those assumptions, the right experience for the client and understanding that I think we were coming out of this monolithic uh, aspirational uh, world where a lot of financial services technology was seeking to deliver on like the whole of everything. And now we're seeing now the realistically, you can only ask somebody something, you know, very specific and it has to be relative to the whole. And the knitting of all of that takes data science, it takes engineering, it takes a ton of empathy, you know, in terms of how you're building, delivering that technology. There's so much that's more in the kind of, I think Eric Clark and I were talking about this a couple of months ago. And he's like, I think the future of, of this space is liberal arts, <laughs> you know, like all those sorts of things where... You have uh, psychology and liberal arts and then our art itself, design and uh, things like that, that are, I think you'd be putting that higher in the list of prioritizations, you know, as an enterprise, if I seek to transcend the future. Hence the success of your partnership, life and business is, uh, I have a hunch that uh, Kim was the liberal arts major and John, actually, I know this isn't true, but it's close. Um, that you're the, you're the, the, the math geek. I, I know you have different backgrounds than what I just said, but it's really that complementary nature of understanding the human behavior and then translating that into action, which requires some math. Did I get that right? That was standing. I probably get, I botched. Yeah. 
I think I think it's decently fair. Uh, we're both pretty we're both pretty into the liberal arts. Uh, I think through both of our backgrounds. But he also never got fired when he was in those spreadsheets. He did a pretty good job. So yeah. <laughs> well, actually, it's interesting. My my colleague and one of the founders of Lightfield, Paul Samuelson, his dad was the Nobel laureate. He I think he majored in English, but he got a PhD in some kind of advanced economics and an MBA. So he's he actually he, he writes our, all of our algorithms. So he he's got the math thing, but he's also got the liberal arts thing. So it's uh, you need both, and and that's really the thing we're seeing. Maybe Kim, you could comment on this. One of the things we're we're seeing across the industry is this behavioral aspect. So I've had conversations with Daniel Crosby, Michael Leersch, both of whom are PhDs in behavioral economics that are important, playing important roles in building platforms. It seems you need to strike that balance between the sort of the the liberal arts aspect, the uh, English and psychology stuff, as well as the number stuff. Maybe, Kim, if you'd comment on that, where you, where that is, where that's going. Yeah, I think, you know, one of the things that it's easiest to think through, like, how is behavioral psychology affecting platforms that are being built or applications? If you just think about a notification center alone, like what actually will drive someone to take action? Is it putting a little red number up on a bell in the screen? Well, how many little red numbers before you start ignoring it? Like notifications are fantastic, but are we going to notify them about everything that needs action? Or is it just mm -hmm. the most important piece? So really thinking through like, what can someone actually digest as a user? What can they think through and then take action on right away, and then making sure that we are synchronizing that with what actually needs to get done and never overwhelming a user. You know, Judd was talking about that idea of looking at an entire plan versus breaking things down into bite-sized pieces. That's what tech should be helping people do. And could you break break up that user because it's both the client and the advisor, and I know you've done yeah. a lot of work on client and advisor portals. T talk a little bit more about that because it's well, the math is fundamental and what drives that suggestion or next best action or what have you. But talk about that and, and what you've learned as, as you've done that at, in prior prior homes uh, around addressing both both sides of that equation. And it's pretty important, I, I think. Yeah, I think it's really around the advisor process. And so often you see, you know, show me your onboarding process. And they're all generally similar, but they have specific nuance to the individual advisor or the individual firm. And you watch people struggle with completing the process quite a bit. You know, everyone knows that we're going to get paid generally once those assets move. So that's really, that piece becomes a linchpin inside of the process. And oftentimes you will see a team sort of walk away from the process once assets have moved or begun moving, and they will abandon the pieces that actually drive value to their clients as soon as the assets are in motion. And we recognize that that is the least desirable outcome for the team, for the client. Everybody needs to stay on target and stay focused on really completing the process that is oftentimes mm -hmm. just mm -hmm. aspirational. That's not just true in onboarding, but it's also true in client maintenance. Is the experience you're creating for your clients exceptional? Is it the kind of thing that when your client walks away from dealing with your team, they say, that was so great. Mm -hmm. I want to tell my friends about it. If it's not, 
then don't you shouldn't be expecting referrals. Asking for referrals when you have subpar experiences yep. is very difficult. The best experiences naturally lead to referrals. And advisors following through on the processes that they know will be successful is what yep. tech should be enabling. It should, you know, when an advisor walks into their their desk in the morning, is it just a bunch of notifications in their email and then four other different programs and they've got tab fatigue before 9 a.m.? If that's the case, you're not going to get the yep. best outcome for your clients and you're not having the best experience for you at work either. So we really want, you know, a lot of value add all the way across the board with everybody who's touching those pieces. So Judd, talk a little bit more about what, under, what underpins what Kim was just talking about. She has, in my my view, the fun stuff of how do you engage with a client? How, how do you engage with an advisor? How do you enable them both to have or empower them, if you will, to have a better, stronger relationship, better outcomes, all that good stuff. So you have the uh, the guts of the operation largely in your purview. Talk a little bit about that, not only what you're doing with wealth management firms, RAAs, but also I know you're doing a lot of work with asset managers, with insurance companies, all trying to get the process that underlies what Kim's been describing so that it's better, faster, cheaper, all that sort of stuff, a better outcome for all. So maybe talk a little bit about some of the work you're doing with some of the folks, uh, generally speaking, uh, who you're working with. Yeah, I think if you think about what advantages you have today, starting a technology company or a you know, a technology-driven wealth management company versus, you know, somebody that's been around for a decade or, or far longer. You have extraordinary advantage today in the ability to build a new, a new, more modern tech stack. From having your own API that's modern, you're running uh, in a REST sort of fashion versus, you know, SOAP or something prior. And then, you know, data warehousing and all the kind of efficiencies that come with that. The thing that we are really seeking to power is the ability for firms to not forget their stack, but to modernize it without having to replace it. The cost of replacement and the time and the politicking of all of that is not anything that anybody wants to go through, and many people just don't. But you need to improve what you're delivering, and you need to modernize it in a rapid way, and you need to have it be subjective to you. Because the, the stack of technology, the choices you're making today will not be the same as your competitor or your peer or your, you know, whoever else. It, you have to work with the constraints you've been given. So what we're enabling is, is for sophisticated companies to be able to add data warehousing in a modern way that's efficient. And then also just cloud enabling their business through an API that and synchronization uh, software that allows them to have something that's fast, that's modern, and it's efficient, and it's minimalistic. Because I think a lot of times we throw a kitchen sink at a user, and guess what? They're never yeah. coming back. <laughs> you know, if you think about the, the most modern uh, experiences that, that are available today that have the most users, folks I've, I've known and watched grow up in this space through the, the design team at Acorns. You know, for example, you look at their technology, it's mm -hmm. very minimalist. It's not giving a lot of data. It's giving the necessary data, and it's giving a wonderful experience to the user. Guess what? They have, I don't even know, maybe seven figures worth of users yep. with that business. And so that's the secret I see is just the ability to like rethink it and, and build and, and create modern data flows, even if you're not a, yep. a user yep. interface. Maybe you're just taking your carrier data and you want it to be more multiple. Yep. That's a very real scenario we're working through. 
Yeah, and, and for our, our audience's uh, better understanding of what we're describing here, I'll, I'll give you an example of what we see anyway among wealth management firms. So it starts with data. Typically, that means data aggregation. So you pull all the data from all different sources, and there's all sort of different bases for those different sources. That feeds into some kind of planning tool, typically, at least if it's done well. And then there's assumptions and Monte Carlos and all sorts of stuff that has different data sources and assumptions and all that kind of stuff. At some point, you should not only do asset allocation or any kind of risk management that you might do. And again, different risk tools have different methodologies, whether it's called Hidden Levers or Aladdin or Riskalyze, they all have different. And so at some point, if I'm an advisor, I'm going to pick what I like and that I'm going to expect the company to integrate with the rest. So I have to manage risk, and I also have to manage tax. tax. And it, it should be noted that if you want to improve outcome beyond the market, which my experience show, shows that no one beats the market over time. But that said, it's cost, risk, and tax. Those are how you beat them. You know, that's how you get a better outcome. If you reduce your cost, if you manage the tax and you minimize the risk, you have a better outcome. And, and all the above needs to be quantified. So... It's asset allocation, asset location, it's ongoing management, it's any kind of transition as accounts get consolidated, it's gain-loss harvesting over time, it's it's asset location over time, it's household-level rebalancing over time as market events or life circumstances change. Then it's income, the optimal sequence of withdrawal that should include Social Security and annuities and qualified and non-qualified accounts and all that. I, what I just described is really hard. Maybe Judd, if you just put a capstone on on that, just that's what you deal with is, is helping people have that sort of flow of data that translates into a user experience that Kim's been describing. Maybe talk about the challenge of that and the role you guys play in, in helping helping firms figure that, all that out. Well, I think you just represented about 300 people and all that technology for the average firm. And, and all those different things that you need to do to, to tie that together. So that's just the human capital side of it. How do you do the actual technology output? We see a great opportunity to help unify a team to say, let's just set the data aside right now. Okay, let's assume that we can get all this data because that's what the whole you know core assumption thesis of mile marker is. is let's let's help you achieve that. But then let's think as a team about the experience. Let's empathize with the, with the client. Let's just say Kim's the client here. Let's design something for her that meets her needs based on her objectives, based on her tax scenarios. And let's think about that as an organization. Prototype that. Use really great design standards and things like that. But work backwards then into now a unified API and, and a data model that allows you to achieve that. That is really the future of how organizations are doing it. Teams like Morgan Stanley and folks like that have a huge head start and great staff around that. But if you're elsewhere in the industry and you understand we don't have this, this is the path is, is you have to really start with empathy, design for the user, build the data model, and then deliver it because the future is far more complex. Steve Greshman, I did a panel for his uh, next chapter organization a couple of weeks ago and Obviously, not sure when this will air, but um, <laughs> I did this panel with uh, with our friend Steve, and you know my whole thing was it's the you know what's the disturbing facts around financial the future of financial advice. It's it's really disturbing because it's actually not easier. Everybody wants to assume oh it's getting more efficient. My life's going to be coming more like the iPhone. You've not seen financial services in reality because what we're realizing is there's more and more opportunity to optimize for the client. 
And the firms that are going to win long term are those that are actually going to operationalize that. And so if we can help people, even a fraction of the industry improve that, the impact is well beyond our lives, which is pretty cool to see just the opportunity that we, that Kim and I get with our team have to be able to partake in, in that success for, for the industry. So we're excited about what that will be. Great. Well, this has been fun and I could keep talking, but try to keep our show to a half an hour. So I'm going to, I'm going to skip ahead here a little bit. We've talked about so much and it's so important. And Kim, maybe you can kick it off and Judd weigh in, but what are some key takeaways that uh, you all would like to share with our our audience around where you are and where you you see the world going? Yeah, I think really the point of everything we're doing is to bring transparency to processes. And if you aren't clear on what your process is, you got to get clear. And it's, it's pretty common that when we're talking to people inside of executive teams even, that there is a lot of confusion around what the actual process is. You ask four people, you get four different answers. And if I could go into every, every firm in America and just say, hey, write down your process, document it, figure out what you are actually doing here and put a pen to paper and get clear around it. Once you have that, then you can start looking for the data to get transparent around what's actually going on. And then you can think about whether or not you even need a user interface. You probably already have everything you need. It's just poorly talking to each other. So really process transparency and then the user interface. Everyone, I get to do the fun stuff where I'm building beautiful things, but the truth is that you know, you need to know what you're building before you think about what it looks like. So transparency for your process is really the key to owning your own future. Yes. Judd, anything to add on key takeaways from our discussion? I think the key takeaways I would say in addition addition to process is progress. You need to be making progress and you need to understand, you know, where you're pedaling your bike. Ultimately, the future has, you know, a unified managed household as the structural unifier, I totally believe that. And, you know, you're, most people are not there. I would say 80% or more of the market is not close to that yet. So if you're pointing your bike in that direction, you have to take a forward pedal every day to make some progress to go up this hill because it's not easy. There's going to be a lot of obstacles, but you need to really as an organization set your sights on that and start understanding. There's some key things like, what is my strategy with data? Like, do I have a data strategy today? What, what choices am I making in terms of, of personnel and process and in the surroundings of that that will inform our ability to get to this actual vision that ultimately is being built to cater to the needs of the unified managed household and, and the complexities of that, that family, individual, company, whatever that would be. And I think that's really the future. And just make that progress, follow a process, define that process. And really keep looking to make sure that you're understanding things clearly and that you're sharing that vision downward inside your organization. I think that's really the secret to progress in in transcending the future of of financial advice. Yeah, and I'm going to just add something to what both of you just shared. And what we find at Lifefield is with every client, UMH is the end game. That's the, the goal, the objective. And as we highlight, and we've just learned the hard way, because we, I think we're the only firm that's been at the table to actually build a semblance of a unified managed household doing it over the past five years, you just start with one thing. Just to your point, Judd, just take that pedal, just one thing, do one thing well, 
do that, and then do the second thing, and then the third thing. Don't boil the ocean. Don't try to do it all at once. You can't. It's too hard. It's too complex. But to your earlier point, both both of you have made this point, have a clear understanding of where you're trying to get. And I think it starts with user experience. Actually, that's sort of typically, at least in my experience, the last thing that's addressed. And it's not that that isn't important in connecting dots. You got to do that too. But what, what's the objective? What what do you want that client and advisor experience? And probably the advisor experience is more important because if you can get that right, they'll display or present to the client. So you got to do both. They look largely the same, but you really have to keep in mind that unless the advisor presents it, it's not going to get heard. So it's the old tree in the forest, if there's some analogy there. In any event, point about <laughs> is that uh, you really got to make it really simple and attractive. And also, and John, I know you work on this day to day, but you have to connect the dots in a way where it so much happens. I don't want to say automatically, but it, effectively, it's automatic that this just what's presented is the next best thing to to do, and and why that's why that's important. So, but we're we're getting way over time, so I'm gonna I'm gonna stop there. And one final question before we close: This has been a lot of fun, as always, when I talk to you guys. So uh, we do this each week with with our guests, and we ask them what's something interesting or unique you do outside of work that people may or may not know and would find interesting. So, Kim, you want to kick it off? Yeah, I'm not sure there's too much that's interesting outside of work, (laughs) but unique. I'm probably maybe for the last like 10 years, I've been on a quest to discover the best fries in every city. And French fries are really a passion of mine. Um, <laughs> if you're, I love that. If you're showing up somewhere and you need a French fry uh, recommendation, oh. I can probably help you in a number of cities around the country. Uh, but we're still we're in Charleston, South Carolina now, and we're still searching for the best French fries here. So if anyone's got any tips around great, that, great. they can find me on Twitter. Well, I, I need to come <laughs> visit so you can also show me the, where the best grits are. I've had grits in uh, oh. That's at my grits. table. Yeah, it's okay. It's it, I, come I, join us. I'll make I'm them in. for you. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Judd? Ah <laughs> oh, man, I think interesting thing for me is I'm a failed saltwater fisherman and a boat captain. So I've been enjoying uh, the water and taking our kids out and friends and things like that. Just really enjoying uh, that sort of aspect of our life and and having fun. So I think we definitely need to host uh, you and your better half down here sometime, Jack, and yes. we'll have a good time. But uh, but yeah, that's I think great. that's, it's been a good, you know, coming out of the pandemic for maybe us. Maybe for our, our audience, uh, you you moved from Omaha to Charleston, maybe just a, a, a quick highlight. I mean, that's that's quite a quite a shift. And I know, I think family joined you in, in the move, didn't they? Yeah, it was, it was really good timing. Uh, Kim's folks were, her mama just retired from her bank role and were able to kind of move down as a team. And they live in the same area <laughs> as us. And our kids are, are pretty much, I mean, her parents are like essential workers for our family and for us to operate <laughs> uh, the businesses the way that we, we do. And um, we have to fight them for who's going to take the tax deduction, honestly, because yeah. they're, they're over there a lot. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. Good for yeah. them. Good for all That's, of them. It's good for everyone. Yeah. So we, we've all been enjoying the change and, and it's been good for, for everybody, I think. That's great. So thanks, Kim and Judd. Uh, as always, I've enjoyed our conversation and look forward to the next, which I know will probably happen sooner than later. If you've enjoyed our podcast, please rate, review, and subscribe and or share what we're doing here on Wealth Tech on Deck. We have uh, we're up to 1,800 downloads and uh, 1,100 listeners, so it's working. So, 
And we have a bunch of uh, interesting guests lined up uh, for the next few weeks. So uh, check those out. We'll be sending out publications. If you're not on our mailing list at Life Yield, by all means, please, uh, please do so. We'd love to share what we're doing here. Lots of fun and interesting stuff. So, uh, so check us out. We're available wherever you get your podcasts. And thanks, Kim and Judd. This has been a real pleasure. I've enjoyed it. Thank you. Thank you, Jack. Thanks, Jack. Thanks for listening to this episode of Wealth Tech on Deck, our ongoing conversation about improving financial outcomes for all. This podcast is brought to you by Life Yield and produced by Reverb. Subscribe to future episodes in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. You can connect with our host, Jack Sherry, on LinkedIn and Twitter. And for more information about our perspective on the future of financial advice, visit our website at lifeyield.com.